0: Hello, welcome once again to the Baked and Awake Podcast. I'm your host, Steve. Today I have a blurb for you from a news story found here on slashdot.org. Following that, we'll go a little further in depth on a story. Also originally found on Slashdot.org, dot but which we'll take from its source article. And finally, when we're done talking about both of those topics, I'm going to tell you guys a little story, something that I found in a children's storybook from the late 70s called The Childcraft Books. Maybe some of you will be familiar with them from your childhood. First up, however, file under disappointed but not surprised, I suppose. Really nothing that I've thought of specifically before, but this story... In some small ways reminds me of uh, matters discussed in our most recent episode about parallel reality displays a brand new technology being developed here in the pacific northwest that i just became aware of With parallel reality displays you and i could both be staring at the exact same sacred glowing rectangle i'm sorry monitor and each see completely personalized individual Images, video feeds, what have you. It's a powerful technology. It's being deployed in the real world today in a beta testing sort of format by Delta Airlines. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I encourage you to go back and check out the most recent episode of the Baked and Awake podcast and learn a little bit more about parallel reality. Um, we talked just a little bit about future potential uses for such a technology. Some of them, highly compelling and convenient. Others, unsurprisingly, a little ominous. This, however, I think will go straight for ominous, straight for foreboding. Again, not something that... Inherently, this technology that we're about to hear about isn't inherently evil or good or bad, but it's the same theme as it always is here. Privacy. It's kind of an illusion, guys. Our rights of being safe and being able to live and exist unharassed Whether we're aware of it or not, I think is rapidly evaporating in the society that we live in. We live in a society, right? Anyway, to the story. This is on Slashdot directly. This is uh, submitted by user BoHD. It's only a few days old. Uh, I think it came out yesterday or the day before, January 16th. What's today, the 17th? So Yesterday from the Work in Progress Department. According to contracts posted on a federal spending database, the US military is working to develop facial recognition technology that reads the pattern of heat being emitted by faces in order to identify specific people. 1-0 reports. Now, the military wants to develop a facial recognition system that analyzes infrared images to identify individuals. The Army Research Lab has previously publicized research in this area, but these contracts, which started at the end of September 2019 and run through 2021, indicate the technology is now being actively developed for use in the field. Sensors should be demonstrable in environments such as targets seen through automotive windshield glass, targets that are backlit, and targets that are obscured due to light weather, example fog the Department of Defense indicated when requesting proposals. The DOD is calling for the technology to be incorporated into a device that is small enough to be carried by an individual. The device should also be able to operate from a distance of 10 to 500 meters and match individuals against a watch list. According to the details of the request, the Defense Forensics and Biometrics Agency is directly overseeing work on the technology. Two companies are working on this technology on behalf of the DFBA, Cyan Systems Inc., and Polaris Sensor Technologies. So, at the risk of sounding like a pessimistic cynic, I can't wait to hear stories, oh, I don't know, two to five years from now, about local police departments all around the country demanding that they also be handed over tech exactly like this in order to better police their neighborhoods and cities. I'm sure that just like the Stingray equipment that has been surreptitiously and sometimes openly sold to police departments all around the country, I'm sure there's... No potential for abuse with this thermal imaging facial recognition technology. So I said file under disappointed but not surprised, but I should say file under. Carry on as usual, folks. Nothing to see here. There is a longer story about this at 10.medium.com, so that is Medium. And it looks like Medium is trying to upgrade themselves and put themselves behind a paywall because when going to that original article, I was uh, informed by Medium that I have two free stories left this month. Well, thank you, Medium. How would you like it if I told you guys every time I came out with a podcast you have two free stories left this month? Unless you get a membership. It's amazing to me these days. We, There's nothing any of us can do. <laughs> Everything's going behind a paywall, you guys. I don't know. We're going to skip the story about um, mobile phones causing tumors, as ruled by an Italian high court, uh, supposedly in defiance of evidence. Talk about that another day. I'm sure we'll see more on that story. Okay, and I'm so sneaky you didn't even know it, but I just paused and packed a fresh bowl to get us ready for this next story. So if you aren't already getting safe, start getting yourself together because that's what we're doing here. We're staying baked. We're staying awake. We do it together. Let's session. Uh, this next story, it was a toss-up. I had a story that I was also very interested in regarding a augmented reality contact lens, which itself would have dovetailed in beautifully with last week's parallel reality display uh, conversation. But we will come back to augmented reality contact lenses here in the future soon, uh, because I do find that to be very worthy of looking at closer. The story I'm going to talk to you about here is actually at the uh, author's personal site, uh, like a blog site. Um, this, this gentleman's name is like Bruce Schneier, okay, and uh, he, by his own uh, bio here on his page, he's a public interest technologist working at the intersection of security, technology, and people. He's been writing about security issues on his blog since 2004 and in a monthly newsletter since 1998. He's a fellow and lecturer at Harvard's Kennedy School and a board member of EFF, that's the Electronic Frontier Foundation, very important group. This personal website expresses the opinions of neither of those organizations. So this is Bruce's own take. The topic is 5G. Steve's take on 5G, as far as this podcast goes and as far as what I've brought up ever up to this point in time about 5G, Um, I'm not going to sit here and (sighs) fearmonger about 5G radiation, you know, turning us all sterile or into hermaphrodites or into zombies or into suggestible, um, you know, vessels for mind control. Um, I'm a little bit more concerned with pragmatic aspects of 5G and its implementation, Specifically, speaking for myself only, my understanding is that the higher powered broadcast towers of the 5G network will be actually needed to be built out at much greater numbers than we're used to seeing with the traditional 4G towers. These may have a smaller footprint, but they'll be very powerful and they'll need to be networked in really close nodes, so many more throughout the neighborhoods and cities where it'll be implemented. And in addition to that, the massive amount of bandwidth and throughput available because of the 5G tech will allow like many times more data to be transmitted at any given moment in time over any given part of the network. And many connected devices that today have very minimal feature sets will, of course, become much more robust. They will have a faster, more dynamic connection to the web and probably begin to roll out new features because of their enhanced capability to move information up and down from the Internet of Things, as they say, to the networked Internet in the cloud. So uh, those matters are like data security concerns. Those matters are, again, like smart home security, privacy, exploits that would become much more numerous than they already are in your home, which, you know, our own home has, uh, for example, Wi-Fi cameras on the exterior, right, in the front yard and the backyard. We've talked about those in the past. It's a known fact that those systems have vulnerabilities if you haven't uh, established your own decent and secure passwords for those networks. If you haven't updated and changed those passwords from factory defaults, or if they've been leaked or compromised in some way, people can actually use things like your Nest camera, things like your Google Home doorbell, things like these security cameras that I have looking at my driveway and at my parking space as a as a way to gain access to, for example, your home's Wi-Fi system. It may, once you're once you're exploited, once you're compromised, once uh, a bad actor, a hacker, a black hat hacker, whatever you want to call them, has access to your Wi-Fi network, they may be able to turn on and off devices at their whim. They may be able to look through cameras of various lenses on your Xbox Connect, on your home security system. There again, some people have these cameras pointed at themselves in their living rooms and in their kids' bedrooms at home, right, so that they can keep tabs on their kids when they're not around. Um, These are things that all of these concerns and worries that exist today with 4G and 3G connections will be sort of multiplied in a 5G world. Why do I say that? Well, Bruce Schneier here, who we've already read his bona fides, he's a bit of an expert on this from what I understand. He's got a great looking beard and a Driver's cap and his uh, author bio picture, so he's pretty serious about his internet. Let's uh, paraphrase from Mr. Schneider's blog here. We won't read the whole thing, but this is about 5G security. But we better puff, huh? Yeah, I'm here blabbing, haven't puffed. I hope you're puffing while I'm talking. One of us is taking care of business around here. Smoking out of my Sherlock from Our Glass Creations today. Shout out, Oli. 5G security. 5G security. The security risks inherent in Chinese-made 5G networking equipment are easy to understand because the companies that make the equipment are subservient to the Chinese government, they could be forced to include backdoors in the hardware or software to give Beijing remote access. Real talk. Eavesdropping is also a risk, although efforts to listen in would almost certainly be detectable. Okay, if you say so. Uh, obviously, I'm going to pepper this with a little bit of my own commentary. I'm sorry. More insidious is the possibility that Beijing could use its access to degrade or disrupt communication services in the event of a larger geopolitical conflict. Since the internet, especially the internet of things, connected smart devices, your speakers, your homes, your cameras, your dishwashers, your smart fridge, is expected to rely heavily on 5G infrastructure, potential Chinese infiltration is a serious national security threat. But here's the rub goes on. But keeping untrusted companies like Highway out of Western infrastructure isn't enough to secure 5G. Neither is banning Chinese microchips, software, or programmers. Security vulnerabilities in the standards, the protocols, and software for 5G ensure that vulnerabilities will remain regardless of who provides the hardware and software. This is Again, real talk, folks. And this, frankly, has been a problem all along, in my opinion. Steve. These insecurities are a result of market forces that prioritize costs over security and of governments, including the United States, that want to preserve the option of surveillance in 5G networks. If the United States is serious about tackling the national security threats related to an insecure 5G network, it needs to rethink the extent to which it values corporate profits and government espionage over security. To be sure, there are significant security improvements in 5G over 4G in encryption, authentication, integrity protection, privacy, and network availability. But the enhancements aren't enough. the 5G security problems are threefold. First, the standards are simply too complex to implement securely. This is true for all software, but the 5G protocols offer particular difficulties because of how it's designed, the system blurs the wireless portion of the network connecting phones with base stations and the core portion that routes data around the world. Additionally, much of the network is virtualized, meaning that it will rely on software running on dynamically configurable hardware. Okay, so much of the network is virtualized. Much of the network is out of the physical control of individual corporations and you know groups that are supposed to be managing their own data or collecting and leveraging your data. They don't even own their computers. They're in other places. They're virtual machines. They're computers running inside of other computers, running in decentralized, on, off, dynamic, maybe it's one machine this day, maybe it's another machine another day kind of networks. This design dramatically increases the points, vulnerable to attack, as does the expected, massive increase in both things connected to the network and the data flying about it. Second, this is a great one, there's so much backward compatibility built into the 5G network that older vulnerabilities remain. 5G is an evolution of the decade-old 4G network, and most networks will mix generations only makes sense to me, right? My phone's 4G. I'm not buying a 5G phone tomorrow. I expect my phone to continue to work. Without the ability to do a clean break from 4G to 5G, it will simply be impossible to improve security in some areas. Attackers may be able to force 5G systems to use more vulnerable 4G protocols, for example, and 5G networks will inherit many existing problems. Third, And this is probably the best of all. The 5G standards committees missed many opportunities to improve security. Many of the new security features in 5G are optional, and network operators can choose not to implement them. The same, already, happened with 4G. Operators even ignored security features defined as mandatory in the standard because implementing them was expensive. But even worse, for 5G, development, performance, cost, and time to market were all prioritized over security, which was treated as an afterthought. Already, problems are being discovered. In November 2019, researchers published vulnerabilities that allow 5G users to be tracked in real time, to be sent fake emergency alerts or be disconnected from the 5G network altogether. And this wasn't the first reporting to find issues in 5G protocols and implementations. So, he's got a few more paragraphs on this. I won't read his whole blog post. I will direct you at it in the show notes, as always. I will read his closing paragraph uh, for the sake of continuity of the man's thoughts. The geopolitics of 5G are complicated, involving a lot more than security. China is subsidizing the purchase of its companies, networking equipment, and countries around the world. The technology will quickly become critical. National infrastructure and security problems will become life-threatening. Both criminal attacks and government cyber operations will become more common and more damaging. Eventually, Washington will have to do something that something will be difficult and expensive. Let's hope it won't also be too late. So he he wrote this blog post. It also got published on a website called foreignpolicy.com, which looks fairly interesting and kind of, um, like, really serious like uh, fp news analysis podcast the magazine channel's newsletters it's got kind of a uh you know new york timesy uh looking site going on here all white and red i've never seen this site before foreignpolicy.com so i don't know who they uh you know is this oriented to us is this oriented towards uh, leaders in the country who are supposed to be reading tracking on foreignpolicy.com i don't know Might have to bookmark this one. Let's put a star on that one. Bookmark that page, foreign policy. And uh, try them out again in the future. Uh, what have I got to say about this? I guess I said it all already. These are the kind of concerns that I have with things like 5G. Just like with parallel reality technology, it's been built. It's been invested in it's been bought off on it's coming you can go to all the town hall meetings you want to to cry about it you can hang up posters and flyers in your neighborhood but this shit is coming your next phone will be 5G you'd be lucky if your next washer and dryer aren't 5G 50 years from now Less probably be impossible to buy a toaster without 5G in it or whatever its successor is. So, you know, what does that mean to a perpetually stoned conspiracy theorist podcaster type? It means what I've always said, what I said at the top of this piece. It's It's not telepathic 5G mind control bolts I'm worried about or cell phone-induced tumors I'm worried about. It's the much more subtle, much less... like, obvious risks that are assumed, that are accepted by all of us in order to enjoy faster Netflix streaming which is already perfect for the last several, several, several years now. Many people listening to me right now don't know how bad Netflix buffering was back in the day on 3G when things first started. On 3G and on older you know, home quote, high-speed internet connections. Anyway, unrelated to everything else uh, today whatsoever, I got a text message today from AT&T saying that we'll receive a credit on our next bill due to them losing another class action lawsuit for lying to people and overcharging people. Comcast also separately. I read a story I think it was today as well about Comcast in Minnesota having to pay 130 million dollars to different uh, customers who they defrauded there. Good times. So uh, thank you to Bruce Schneier, Bruce Schneier, excuse me, for that story on five G security. I definitely urge you to read the full story and take your time with it and just you know sit with it and think about it a little bit. Uh, What can we do? You know, no, we're not helpless. It's not 20 years from now yet. Your toaster doesn't have 5G in it yet. Your new Nikes don't have 5G in them yet. Continue to make good choices, guys. Continue to think really hard about how much you can understand, how much you can grok about the tech you're using yourself in your own life. Get better at using it. Use the built-in available security tools that you do have. Update your miserable giant password keychain with some fresh passwords. Maybe that's a ritual you engage in once a year. Uh, Just do your best. Don't acquiesce. Don't just throw up your hands and buy an iPhone 12. They're not going to solve it for you. They're not going to fix it for you. If, you're, if you get a tool, if you get a helper, if you get a chance, it'll be one that in many cases you have to go looking for to, to grab back a little bit of that control. It's that turning off of uh, favorite places on your iPhone. It's that shutting down of uh, Google location history. It's that those little tweaks wherever you can. It's shutting off permissions for dozens of other shitty little apps that don't mean anything to you in your life, all of whom have access to your address book, all of whom have access to your camera and microphone. It's plugging that thing in when you walk in your house and putting it on a counter in the back room away from you and your family so you can sit and talk and engage with each other with a modicum of the privacy that you used to believe you had in your own home. It's putting that few feet of distance between yourself and your ubiquitous, precious handset that never strays heartily out of your greasy little paw, I'm talking to myself here too, by the way. It's getting that phone out of your bedroom from next to your head at night. I really hate to say this because it's it's like the most callous sounding thing in the world on the surface of it. Somebody's going to die in the middle of the night all the time. It's always in the middle of the night. Grandma's going to go somebody's gonna, you know, crash their car and be stuck on the side of the road. If you gotta, turn the volume back up, turn the sound on, and leave it in the kitchen on the countertop. You're probably still gonna wake up if somebody calls. You don't need that thing right next to your head. And if you missed the call anyway in the middle of the night... You couldn't help somebody out until morning, or they had to call a couple other people until they got somebody to come and help them. So what? It's 2020. I've had an iPhone of some sort since around 09 or so. These things have been in our bedroom the whole time. only recently started even trying sometimes to plug it in out in the kitchen and get it out of the bedroom i haven't totally succeeded i'm i'm just talking to you right now but what i'm saying is there's no there's no text in the middle of the night that's that important that it first off needs to disturb your precious precious few hours of rest that you get each day and it certainly isn't worth it to sit with a little radio transceiver next to your head all night long either do I think it's irradiating our brains and turning us into mush while we sleep probably not do I think it's being turned on to listen to us while we talk in our sleep or snore or rustle around in bed or? I don't know probably not me probably not you but I don't think that that has never happened I don't think it won't continue to happen these machines were already literally creating uh, like lifetime records of your biometrics and things how many of you have smart watches Fitbits and Apple watches etc it knows your very heart rate (laughs) anyway More than enough of that. More than enough of that. We are going to end with a a story, as I said, from the Childcraft books, which I recently... uh, Reprocured. I didn't reprocure these. These are a new set that I got from my lovely mother-in-law, who gave them to my wife and I. These are books that uh, my wife had as a kid growing up, thankfully, and uh, that we also had in my home as a kid growing up. Who knows where our copies are? You know, today, uh, you know, the family's all over the place. Mom and dad are down in Nevada somewhere, so, uh, and I don't know that they've hung on to these. You know, the old encyclopedias and kids books that we had when we were kids uh, at all but these childcraft books were beautiful they were amazing they're beautifully illustrated they're encyclopedia style shelf reference books on you know everything that a kid could want it's like a little homeschooling kind of curriculum books on mathematics books on you know uh, uh, the alphabet and language books on the human body books on children childhood development etc you know all, all sorts of topics really cool books uh this book is stories and fables I was really happy to get these books again I started thinking about all these wonderful reference books that we used to value so much as kids and which I think are you know kind of a vanishing breed I don't I don't know if this stuff is still being created today and sold today to kids I haven't had network television in many years in the house and You know, while I might be getting just as programmed as ever by Netflix and all my other streaming services, uh, I just don't see commercials like I used to. So I don't know if these are still being like hawked on TV like they were once upon a time, but you couldn't watch. You know, kids' television back in the day without being sold some world book encyclopedias at some point during the day, without being sold some uh, National Geographic animal information index cards collections. Those were dope, by the way. I love those fucking things. I should actually start trying to collect those again. That would be super cool. Um, uh, The Time Life Books... Really, really big, really amazing, and uh, books that I treasured growing up, books that definitely fueled my imagination and curiosity for everything, everything, the stuff that we talk about today on the podcast, it all goes back to cool book series like the Time Life books and and stuff like these Childcraft books. Um, We're going to go to the back section of the Stories and Fables books book here, which includes like stories about Anasazi, or Anansi, excuse me, Anansi the Spider, who many of you probably got your first introduction to from uh, Neil Gaiman's um, American Gods, right? Anansi the Spider, he's amazing. Uh, Maybe we'll read that story later. I didn't even notice Anansi on the way. I was thinking of uh, King Midas, whose story is in here, uh, and a few others. But We're going to go to one that we're all familiar with on some level, but who I bet most of us have either never had actually read to us or haven't heard in so long, like since their early, early childhood, that we forget the completeness of this story. This is a parable or a story that, um, is like woven into all our, our souls and, uh, This one, uh, this story is adapted from Nathaniel Hawthorne's version of Pandora. Pandora, of the famous Pandora's box. Beautiful black and white-like pen and ink or pencil-looking illustration here of Pandora in front of the box just opened with all the horrors flying out I'll definitely take a picture of this best I can and share it to Instagram so follow me there if you want to see like a little bit of the visuals from this story Long, long ago when this old world was very young there lived a boy named Epimetheus. He had neither father nor mother, and so that he might not be lonely, a little girl who, like himself, had no father or mother, was sent from a far country to live with him and be his playmate. Her name was Pandora. The first thing that Pandora saw when she entered the cottage where Epimetheus lived was a great box, and almost the first question which she asked was, Epimetheus, what's in that box? That's a secret, answered Epimetheus, and you must be kind enough not to ask any questions about it. The box was left to be kept here safely. Even I don't know what's in it. But who gave it to you? asked Pandora, pouting her lip. I wish the great ugly box were out of the way. Just don't think about it anymore, snapped Epimetheus. Let's go outside and play. They ran out to play, and for a while, Pandora forgot all about the box. But when she came back to the cottage, she couldn't help thinking about it again. Where did that box come from, she kept saying to herself and to Epimetheus. And what in the world can be inside... I've told you 50 times, I don't know what's inside, said Epimetheus. You must open it, Pandora persisted. And then we could see for ourselves. You might open it. Pandora, what are you thinking of? exclaimed Epimetheus. He was shocked at the idea of opening a box that had been given to him to take care of. At least, said she, you can tell me how it came here. It was left at the door, replied Epimetheus, just before you came, by a person who was dressed in an odd kind of cloak. He had a cap that seemed to be made partly of feathers, so that it looked as if it had wings. Oh, I know him, said Pandora, It was Quicksilver, and he brought me here, as well as the box. No doubt he intended it for me, and probably it contains pretty dresses for me to wear, or toys for you and me to play with, or something very nice for both of us to eat. Perhaps so, answered Epimetheus, turning away. But until Quicksilver comes back and tells us we may, neither of us has any right to lift the lid of that box. And he went out of the cottage. What a stupid boy he is, muttered Pandora. Then she stood gazing at the box. It was made of a beautiful dark wood so highly polished that Pandora could see her face in it. The most beautiful face was carved in the center of the lid. Pandora had looked at this face a great many times, and it seemed to her that, at times, it smiled at her, and at other times it had a grave look that rather frightened her. The box did not have a lock and key, as most boxes have, but it was tied with a gold cord. Pandora said to herself, perhaps if I untied the cord, I could tie it up again. There would be no harm in that. I need not open the box, even if the knot is untied. I'm smiling, because, oh, Pandora, come on. Just then, by accident, she gave the knot a little twist and the gold cord untwined itself as if by magic and there was the box without any fastening. Oh dear, said Pandora. What will Epimetheus say when he finds the knot untied? He will know that I have done it. How shall I make him believe that I have not looked into the box?" And then the thought came into her head that, since he would think that she had looked into the box anyway, she might just as well have a little peep. The face on the lid smiled at her, as if to say, there could be no harm in raising the lid. and then she thought she could hear tiny voices inside the box that whispered. "'Let us out, dear Pandora. Pray, let us out. "'We will be such nice, pretty playmates for you.'" "'What can it be?' thought Pandora. "'Is there something alive in the box?' I'm going to take just one peep and then shut the lid as safely as ever. There cannot possibly be any harm in just one little peep. Meanwhile, Epimetheus, who had been playing with other children, decided to return to Pandora. He stopped to gather some flowers, roses and lilies and orange blossoms to make a wreath for Pandora. Epimetheus reached the cottage door and entered softly, for he meant to surprise Pandora. But just as he came in the door, Pandora had put her hand to the lid and was on the point of opening the box. If he had cried out, Pandora would probably have let the lid drop. But Epimetheus although he had said very little about it, was just as curious as Pandora to find out what was in the box. And if there was anything pretty or valuable in it, he meant to take half of it for himself. So he was just as foolish and nearly as much to blame as Pandora. There was a heavy peal of thunder outside. Pandora did not notice. She lifted the lid and looked inside. It Seemed as if a sudden swarm of winged creatures flew out of the box and brushed past her. Then she heard Epimetheus cry out in pain. "'Oh, I am stung!' he exclaimed. "'Naughty Pandora, why have you opened this wicked box?' Pandora let the lid fall and started over to see what had happened to Epimetheus. She heard a loud buzzing as if a great many huge flies or mosquitoes were flying about. Soon, she was able to make out a crowd of ugly little shapes with wings, like bats, and terribly long stings in their tails. It was one of these that had stung Epimetheus, and before long, Pandora began to scream with pain. An ugly little monster had settled on her forehead, and would have stung her badly if Epimetheus had not run and brushed it away. Little did the children know it, but these ugly things were the whole family of earthly troubles. There were evil tempers. There were a great many kinds of cares. There were more than 150 sorrows. There were diseases in many painful shapes, There were more kinds of evil than it would be of any use to talk about. All the sorrows and worries that hurt people today had been shut up in the mysterious box and given to Epimethus and Pandora to keep safely so that the happy children in the world might not be troubled by them. Had they taken care of the box as they should have, no grown-up would ever have been sad nor any child have had cause to shed a single tear from that hour until this moment. Now the winged troubles flew out of the window and went all over the world. They made people so unhappy that no one smiled for many days afterward. Meanwhile, Pandora and Epimetheus remained in the cottage, Epimetheus sat down in a corner with his back to Pandora. She rested her head on the box and cried bitterly. Suddenly, there was a gentle tap on the inside of the lid. What can that be? said Pandora, raising her head. It sounded like the tiny knuckles of a fairy's hand knocking lightly on the inside of the box. "'Who are you?' asked Pandora. A soft voice spoke from within. "'Only lift the lid, and you shall see.' "'No, no,' said Pandora. "'I have had enough of lifting the lid.' There are plenty of your ugly brothers and sisters already flying about the world. Ah, said the voice again. They are no brothers and sisters of mine. Come. Come, my dear Pandora. I am sure you will let me out. The voice sounded so kind and cheerful that Pandora and Epimetheus together lifted the lid. Out flew a bright, smiling, fairy-like creature. She flew to Epimetheus and lightly touched the spot where the trouble had stung him. And at once the pain was gone. Then she kissed Pandora on the forehead, and her hurt, too, was cured. Pray, who are you, beautiful creature? asked Pandora gazing with wonder at the lovely fairy. I am to be called Hope, answered the sunshiny figure. I was packed into the box that I might comfort people when the family of troubles got loose in the world. And will you stay with us? asked Epimetheus. Forever and ever? As long as you live, said Hope, I promise never to leave. Sometimes you will not be able to see me, and you will think that I have gone away forever. But perhaps when you least dream of it, you shall see the glimmer of my wings on the ceiling of your cottage. And ever since then, troubles have been flying about the world. And making people suffer. But always hope. The fairy with rainbow wings. Has come to bring healing. And comfort. So this is the childcraft edition. Of Nathaniel Hawthorne's. A wonder book. The Pandora myth. I believe is much older than the somewhat contemporary Hawthorne. Uh, We have a few themes that are interesting there and worth pondering. It seems to me that Quicksilver, the messenger, and our Archetypical tinkerbell fairy of hope were kind of in cahoots together on this little maneuver uh, it seemed the fairy accepted it as inevitable that the box would be opened indeed the box seemed to want to be opened And the box was, of course, entrusted to two foundlings, Adam and Eve archetypes themselves, after a manner, in total absence of any apparent adult influence, and in fact with the box prominently located in such a way as to constitute a test, a trial, for them exactly like the tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil, excuse me. Um, All these parallels have probably been drawn by thousands of actual academics in the past, so uh, I don't claim to be breaking new ground here. I guess what I'm saying is maybe we don't blame Pandora quite as much as we might once have, when reading this version of the story, it seems to me poor Pandora was put in a position that this was bound to happen. And whether hope has her own motives or not, whether Quicksilver really ever had bottled up all the world's troubles in a prior golden age that now we're just blaming our troubles today, our fall on archetypes like Eve and Pandora when in reality it was something that occurred to everyone and people seek to find meaning a reason, even a scapegoat for it. Innocent children being asked to hold back the world's troubles locked up in a box, that their own childhood innocence and curiosity, their human nature alone, would make more or less impossible for them to obey I posit that an adult in the same situation would also open the box 100% of the time and never for such a noble reason as childlike curiosity and the naive hope of an orphan that someone loved them enough to leave a treasure in a box maybe just for them. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for listening all the time. Say hello anytime. Let me know what you'd like to hear about. Email me at talktous at Let's keep hope in our hearts, even though we talk about upsetting and depressing things a lot of the time. We still gotta find a way to make it through each day. Find a reason to smile. Love you guys. Smoke indica. Do shit anyway. Until next time.